get ready. The nose will come so thick and fast you won't know what's going on, right? Um, and we were told no by every major record label, every major management company, most of the artists we were told no by. Uh, and now we work with them all. Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host, Omer Khan. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast. I hope you're doing well. It's another week and I have another episode for you. Before we get into that, I want to start by giving a shout out to Bharat Agraj Shinde, uh, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, for leaving a five-star iTunes review. Uh, let me read that to you quickly. Very practical and direct. Uh, I'm a novice uh, with social media, though I have 20 plus years uh, in the IT industry. I know it sounds ridiculous, but being busy with my profession and family has left little time. Even before completing my first episode, uh, 82, which was with Maria Dykstra, I started using Twitter with the right focus. I'm sure I'll get a lot of insights and hacks for being productive in exploring and pursuing my passion as I go through these podcasts. I'm sure if I can be so productive in using Twitter within the first 15 minutes of going through this podcast... This is a goldmine for me and all professionals for sure. Thank you so much for leaving that review. I, I really appreciate it. And it really feels good to know that you were able to start applying the knowledge from listening to your very first episode on Conversion Aid. That is awesome. And as I've mentioned to you guys, um, I, bear with me when I ask for iTunes reviews. As I said, it really does help. It gets me fired up to create better content for you guys, and it really helps with the iTunes algorithm and the ranking of the show so more people can find it and and we can build a a bigger audience and and a stronger community uh, for this podcast. So if you'd also like to leave a review, just go to conversionaid.com slash iTunes. Now, secondly, I've created a PDF summary of this week's episode with my key takeaways and lessons. And you can use this either as a handy reference after you've listened to the episode, or you may just want to download it and take a look through the the summary first uh, before deciding uh, if you're going to listen to the episode. So either way, I think it's a really useful resource to have, and you can download it for free by going to conversionaid.com slash 90, that's nine zero. And about halfway down the page, you'll see a link to download the PDF. And if you're a ConversionAid VIP member, I'll email you the PDF so you don't need to do anything. And of course, if you haven't joined the ConversionAid community, then you should go and do that right away. Um, You'll get notified of new episodes right in your inbox. It's a great way to learn from successful SaaS founders and entrepreneurs. And um, you'll get these PDF summaries and other goodies that I put together uh, for the community right in your inbox. Uh, Again, just go to conversionaid.com slash VIP and enter your email address to join. All right, let's get started with the interview. 
All right. Uh, today's guest is the founder and president of Pledge Music, an online music platform that allows artists to pre-sell, market, and distribute recordings, music videos, and concerts directly to their audience. Uh, he's an independent musician from London who's been making his own records since 1999. He founded Pledge Music in 2009 as a way to engage directly with music superfans who drive the bulk of spending in the music industry. And he came up with the idea for Pledge Music while lying on an air mattress in his mother's spare bedroom. Almost six years later, the company has over 50 employees and has offices strategically around the world uh, to support artists and fans. Uh, in 2013, he was recognized on Billboard's 40 Under 40 Power Players list. And in 2014, at Muse Expo International Music Awards, he won Digital Executive of the Year. So today, I'd like to welcome Benji Rogers. Benji, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you for a beautiful description of Pledge Music as well. <laughs> Great. Now, we're both from London. Um, you're, I'm in the Seattle area and you're over in New York. Um, what, uh, when did you decide to move over to the U.S.? Um, so I've actually ping-ponged back and forth. My mother's in New York and my father's English. So um, I, I, I can get cranky at both uh, Americans and English people, which is a, a, a right I enjoy. Um, and I can get you know uh, um, involved in both politics if I choose to, which I tend to not these days. Um, but yeah, no, I decided to move here when I was 15. I moved to Los Angeles and then I moved back to London. Then I moved to New York, then back to London, then to Boston for a while. Um, I went to college at Berkeley College of Music in Boston briefly, and um, uh, and then my wife and I have been here for the last five years now. Um, I basically launched, I started Pledge in London um, in a basement of a, uh, of a, of a big um, office building uh, next to a rehearsal room, and we um, uh, decided that it was, you know, I was going to kind of launch the U.S. side of operations, so... I uh, was for a while briefly commuting between London and, and New York and then London and Los Angeles, and that really wasn't going to be sustainable. So we uh, moved out here, and now I have a, a daughter uh, who was born in, in uh, Brooklyn. So, yeah, I have a Brooklyn girl now. <laughs> cool. Now, uh, I like to start off by asking my guests um, for a success quote or, or just simply – what gets them out of bed and drives them to do what they do? So is there, a, is there a favorite quote that you have? Or if not, just what gets you out of bed? Um, you know, uh, it's an interesting one. There isn't really a, a quote so much as I get, I guess, I guess one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is I'll meditate. And in that meditation, I'll often, it'll, it'll be, you know, these, these things surface. And I, I, I meditated for about two years now. Um, and it was because, uh, the brain gets pretty clouded. I don't uh, consider my, I consider myself still fundamentally an artist in some way, shape or form. When I was a musician, I would wake up with a burning idea for a song. When I kind of shut down that side of things, it started to come up with products or, you know, ideas or, or new features for pledge or new features for new apps that I was building. And um, so I think that you end up painting on a new canvas uh, whether it's a software, whether it's um, a product, whether it's, you know, um, a piece of code, whether it's, you know, a new marketing idea, it just becomes a different thing. And um, uh, and but the quote that when you ask the question, the quote that came to me was good enough never is. And I don't know why it popped in when you asked the question, but there was this wonderful thing where I was talking with our team about innovation in the company. And it was like, what 
you know, should we use Slack over HipChat? Should we use Asana or should we just go back to using email? Like what, what would work? And one of them was like, well, why do we have to try all these things? And I kept saying, well, because, you know, okay, we can use email. It's good enough. It will work. But is that really what you want? Do you want us to not try the new things? Like, should we continuously innovate? So that's not the one that wakes me up every day, but that's the one that, that when you ask the question popped into mind, good enough never is. I think it's from the, um, an elegant solution that, uh, the book about Toyota, ironically. You know, I'm surprised. I've, I've been surprised by the number of, uh, founders and entrepreneurs, uh, that I've come across who meditate every day. Um, yeah. it's, it's really surprising. And it's something that I've been doing for a couple of years now as well. And, and, wouldn't you know stop my day any other way um, yeah but w- w- why why did you get into it i'll tell you what it is um uh, uh i think it's that there's a massive thought endlessly continuing through life right and you you basically toil on an idea for hours you know months i mean i you know i would the idea for pledge was honestly i was lying there exhausted and all of a sudden it was just like it was there and it, you know, I've had a thousand ideas that I never wrote down or I was at a bar partying and, then, you know, just you forget them. But like, you know, when you actually go towards executing ideas, they become fascinating. And what I find is, is that if you can come into it with a clear mind in some way, shape and form. And for me or a lot of people who don't meditate, what they'll often think to themselves is it's gonna, it, I, I'll never get my mind still. And it's it's a process. It's not a it's, it's not a fixed thing. You don't sit down and all of a sudden your mind goes blank and you're happy. It isn't like that. It's really you, you wrestle demons inside. And I've found that I've I've maximized outcomes for things I'm working on in that space. And it's a cumulative effect. So as you say, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you just go. Okay, time to go get into that zone. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a miserable thing I found. You know, at horrible meditations. This morning I was like trying to trying to relax on on something I'm working on, and I just couldn't. It was wasn't coming. Okay, but then you learn to be okay with that and move on. And with you know other co-founders or other people that I've advised, I'll say to them, you should meditate. And they're like, no, no, there isn't enough time. And I'm like, that's exactly why you should meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, because you will find a different path through. And I think that, that, that solutions will often come at your least um, active moments. A lot of the, the new features ide- ideas or a couple of the new products that I've been working on come when I'm in the shower because I'm literally, my, 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 my physical labor there is to wash my hair and myself, right? And then that's basically done, right? <laughs> And so in that process, your mind is totally not in its usual zone. It's, it's out of cycle with kind of thinking about things. And so I wanted to create more instances of that happening. Meditation is a huge one for me there. And then also listening to audiobooks, particularly by you know, business people I admire, or I read a lot of biographies as well. I found that um, reading biographies is, a, is an immense, it's an amazing way to sum up an entire person's life decisions. And particularly when you know that when they're young, what they do, and when they're old, what they do, and you can get a scope of how wisdom is built through a biography, which is, you know, business books tend to be pretty tight focused, but you read the biography of Abraham Lincoln or John Adams, or, you know, you, you, you go into someone who had unimaginable uh, uh, choices to make and an unimaginable set of um, circumstances conspiring against them. 
who was still had to get on with life and, you know, brush their teeth or what was left of their teeth and, you know, kind of move forward. So um, I think that, that meditation gives you a space in which to do that. And it's a way of contextualizing all of the myriad of thoughts that you have during the day. And um, you come out of it clearer. And I always said to, you know, um, some of my team will, will, will remark that I'm remarkably calm most of the time. And they'll say, you know, even when, when you know, shit's going down, they'll say, you know, why are you so calm? And I, I just say to them, well, I'm not going to make a better decision if I'm freaking out. I'm not going to make yeah. any, you know, I'm not going to be any better for anyone in this room if I'm panicking. Right. So and I believe that panic and, uh, is a choice. It's not a, it, it's an option. And so you have to. You know, the, the journey of building a business and then when it gets to a business of, you know, more than, let's say, five people, it becomes incredibly complex. And uh, coming into it, you know, the way I, I, I've often put it to one entrepreneur this way, I said, if you meditate for 10 minutes a day and it didn't do anything, it's still not going to be a problem for you. Right. But I guarantee you it will do something. And if you can get to 20 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, you will feel the effects. And what's the worst thing that could happen that you relax for 30 minutes? Like there's no downside to it. Right. Um, but people are afraid of, of the mind. I think quite often they're afraid of what will come up. Um, and you have to recontextualize those thoughts. You know, the, the brain is, is designed to, um, you know, it, it's designed to ponder on things and fix them. And I, I, I refer to it sometimes as like, it's it's like a Rubik's cube being solved in your mind. You know, when you can't sleep, you're just sitting there like pushing different combinations. How will this work? How will this work? And meditation is a way to kind of short circuit that and say, relax now. And then what I find is after meditation, maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes later is when the answer will come. And it comes in a beautiful linear order um, if you allow the brain space to do it. Otherwise, you're just working, you know, I think harder and not smarter. So I think meditation is part of a way to work smarter. Yeah, that's that's really really good advice. So <clears throat> let's go back to that night that you had that moment of insight and came up with this idea for pledge music. What did you do? Did, did you decide to take action right away? And and how did you know that of all the ideas that you've had, this was the one that you really wanted to act upon? Yes. So so it's 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 an odd one. Um, and, I, and I think about this quite often. We're about to turn six years old on the 30th. And so it's kind of like, you know, it, it always gets in my mind that I go through the old photos of of, you know, like rude, crude drawings that I'd done. And uh, I'll tell you what it is. Um, it was I was lying in bed and I was kind of pondering. I was I was sleeping and I woke up and I was sort of like, what if an artist could offer their fan the experience of the making of an album in real time through the internet? And it was like, whoa, that would solve a huge number of problems. And then a part of me was like, I'll get to that tomorrow. And I remember just kind of rolling over and I'm living on an air mattress at my, at my mom's house. My wife was a receptionist supporting us at the time because I was being a musician. And I just remember going this and the idea wouldn't leave, but it was crystallized. It was I could see an interface in my head in which this would happen. And there were details that were fuzzy, but I could literally, I just, it was like, wow, this is something. And it also solved an immediate problem I had, but also an immediate problem for millions of people. Um, and so I got up and I went down to the kitchen table and I pulled up my old um, MacBook, uh, one of the, you know, the big black fat ones, about three, three inches you know, <laughs> deep. And um, I was like, I want to build this thing. And I pulled up iWeb at the time and I started to basically put in 
you know, in blocks and modules for where it would look. And uh, it was about 2.30, maybe 3 in the morning when I had the idea. And about 9 a.m., my mom's boyfriend came down and he says, what are you working on? And I said, it's called Pledge Music. And then I went, you know, bought the domain right there and then. And um, it literally all popped in. And what were the odds that Pledge Music would have been available at that time, you know? Um, and, you know, it was like, but I was, I spent that seven pounds was pretty much the last money I had, you know, it was pretty bare. And something in the idea propelled itself beyond if I'd wanted to stop it or not. Um, that was really what it was. It was this idea that the, that the making of things for a, a certain type of fan is more interesting to them than the buying of things, which have already been made. And as someone who would dig through, you know, record crates to find unreleased versions and, you know, go buy bootlegs and, you know, scour uh, LimeWire or Kazawa, you know, to look for this unreleased stuff, like it was really important to me. And the idea burned. And so when over the next kind of few days, I kept coming back to this house to be made and it, it wouldn't allow me to put it down. Whereas other ideas had been like, that would be kind of cool. This one would not let me go. It was like literally like it had me by the throat as much as I had it. And then what I found was when I started to share it with a few people that I really admired, the same thing happened to them. I drop it to like, you know, um, the, the first guy, you know, the lawyer that I told it about, John, one of the co-founders. I told him about it in a bar one night and I didn't know him very well. And he's like, this idea is incredible. Like, um, don't tell him about this idea. I want you to sign an NDA. Uh, unless they signed an NDA. And I didn't even know what an NDA was. I mean, I had no business experience at all. And the fact that he got so ignited on it and it wouldn't let him go really led me to believe that it did. And then I would take it to just really smart people that I thought, well, like, you know, you're a successful businessman, you've done this. And it gathered its own steam. And it was still me propelling it like it was still on my shoulders but and you know i was reading through some of the founding emails um a, a couple of weeks ago and it's really interesting because people were like trying to poke holes in it but i could answer every question you know um and the the bit that we you know there were certainly bits that we got very very wrong in the whole thing from, from ideation to creation but once it started to kind of move. There was really no, no stopping that one particular idea. And what I found is, is that, you know, there's a fear I had when I was songwriting that I've written my last great song, you know, like that was it. I'll never write another one that good, but you always kind of do. But those ideas, those kind of, you know, sort of life-changing ideas, um, similarly, like I, there are other ideas that I've had since then that, that, that burn in my brain today that I have to build, you know? So it's, <laughs> It's an amazing thing to watch, but there are certain ideas that will grab you. And I think you have to run with them because you'll never be satisfied if you just let it go. Um, there were two ideas recently that I saw, which were ideas that I'd had that have just been executed. And I was just like, oh, man. And I, I emailed the people that I told about them for the first time. I'm like, well, there it is. It's you know, Dropbox just built it. Great. You know, um, but I, I love ideas. They're, they're adventurous. And I think that um, if you were to, again, if you were to stay up six hours, seven hours of your night and go into work tired the next day because you were brainstorming or whiteboarding an idea, it's never going to be a waste. Even if someone's already built it, can you build a better one? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it was it was a persistence. It was also a huge amount of luck that kind of rolled in towards the idea itself. 
Um, and I found that just I would share it with entrepreneurs. I would I would say to them, you know, listen, you should be CEO. You should build this. I'm going to be a musician. And they kept saying, nope, only you can build it. Only you can pull this off. And it was really, um, you know, an amazing thing to, to watch it come into being because it gathered its own steam on the idea. And um, artists will, will, will routinely email me and say, you know, I remember that day that you, we sat on the South Bank having a beer and you told us that that plan. And I was like, yeah, and, and you know, we released a thousand albums last year. <laughs> like, it's amazing. So, um, you know, why it's, did uh, uh, I was gonna say, why why did you, do you think people say that? No, you you're the only one who can go and build this because you didn't have any any business or entrepreneurial experience. Yeah. So so what was it? Was it was it the clarity of this vision that you had that that had people saying this to you or? Yeah, you know, I, I wrestle with this quite often because there are certain founders that will come up with ideas to me, and it's very hard to the, the, if they don't if they don't emote well, if they don't speak well, if if, if you know they can often you know um, hamstring themselves in that type of presentation, they'll come off too overconfident or they'll come off too underconfident. What I found was is that. Um, uh, the idea itself was compelling, and a lot of people were kind of watching from the sidelines saying, you know, will he do it, will he not? But when I would say – when I would pitch it to to an entrepreneur that, that could be the CEO, they would always come back to me with, it sounds great, I love it, but you have to build it. The uh, You know, the, the head of CD Baby, I, I, I was like, you should do this, Derek. You'd be amazing at this. And he wrote back saying, build it. <laughs> and I did. And, and I tell you, it's um, – the founders of a company can be are crucial at certain levels, and there's a skill set to being able to just cobble together whatever will, will work. The other thing I'd say is the idea was going into a business that is resistant to change, unlike any I've ever seen. Um, you know, there was a, 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 a there was a saying in the music industry, which is that the music industry is technologically about as in step with with you know modern technology as the Amish. And a friend of mine said, that's an insult to the Amish because at least they use wheels, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I think that, that they knew that it had to be someone who comes from an industry background, a musician who understands what musicians want. And they also just kind of, you know, like I, and, and looking back, it makes sense. I, when I couldn't get a record deal, I made my own CDs. Sounds like normal now, but back then no one made their own CDs. It didn't happen, right? So I, you know, bought a CD burner. Um, I used to publish my own books when I won and I couldn't get a publisher, you know, like it was just, I always just went and did it and I remained restless. So when these people were saying, you've got to do it, a founder is not, is, doesn't need to be that qualified. You just have to be a very lucky, but B, you have to ask, I'll give you an example. When I, when I first came into, you know, like, um, when, when John, the lawyer said to me, you know, no one should look at this unless they've signed an NDA. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. I said, what's an NDA? Everything in me wanted to say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, totally we should do that, not knowing what it was <laughs> to Google it. But, you know, I didn't know what a Gantt chart is. So I'm like, what's a Gantt chart? I don't know what, you know, I didn't know how to do projections or anything. And I remember when I sat with, with my our first CFO and the accountant, and I basically said, look, Karen, Mike, I'm not leaving this room until I understand what's on this page. So you're going to have to bear with me. And what I found was, is when you ask fundamental questions of people, they want to answer you. They like to do so. 
And they were so kind and, and gave me so much of their time, as have many entrepreneurs since. Um, and I basically would just ask. I would ask endless questions. And I found that, that people would answer them. And when you go through the hard times in the business, um, that's when you should be asking as well. Um, when the questions stop, it's worrying. Um, uh, when, when you feel like you know it all, I think it's worrying. And to this day, I'm, I'm just stunned by new innovation as it comes through. But, you know, uh, I don't think anyone else could have built Pledge in the way that it was. And that may be a good or a bad thing. I don't know. When, when, uh, when passing off the, the, the CEO ship to somebody else, that's a, a very strange, hard thing to do. But ultimately, the skill of you know, creating something from nothing versus um, the skill of running something that's been created are very, very different. And you know, I never had the intention to remain sort of the head of the whole thing. It wasn't really, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I think every third or fourth board meeting, I'd be like, so should we get a CEO who actually knows what we're doing now? <laughs> you know, I would be the reluctant CEO. And that wasn't because I didn't want to. It was because it was like, it's a different skill set. And I recognized that there's a technical um, uh, side of being a CEO that's very important. There's also a brutal side sometimes that needs to be there. And there's also just a, just a, a, a command of, facts and processes beyond what you require for five, 10 people in a room. That said, there are not many people that can take, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, and, you know, when I was doing this, this was pre sort of, you know, iOS and uh, um, full on iOS and pre, you know, kind of, you know, lean startup. Um, uh, MVP wasn't even really used that much back then, you know. Whereas now it's, you know, uh, a lot of business plans will come to me with like, here's a business plan and here's the MVP in test flight. Go for it. You know, uh, that really wasn't how we did things, you know, when I was starting anyway. So and now, go ahead. Yeah. You had this idea, uh, which you just couldn't let go of. And the, when you shared this idea with people, you had a lot of positive feedback and that must have driven you to, to keep going forward. But you also faced a lot of no's and rejections along the way. So can you, yeah. can you give me a, one example of that? Just maybe one moment where maybe you, you questioned whether this was the right idea? Sure. Um, there was a moment, the, 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 the first no came when I opened a bank. Well, first of all, I couldn't open a bank account. That was just a hilarious series of things where I went into HSBC in, in London and um, I said, uh, uh, an investor is putting money in. I need to open a bank account for the business. And he says, someone will see you in two weeks. What? <laughs> and I said, I don't understand. Uh, I want to put money in, not take it out, because I want to start this business. So, you know, can I just do this? Yeah, I'm sorry, sir. It doesn't work that way. In order to open a business account, uh, you have to be with one of our people. Someone will be here, you know, so in two weeks' time, we can do that. And I was just left stunned, like, whoa, okay. Um, and then I went to the accountants that I, that I'd met and I said, I, I can't open a bank account. I went to the bank and they wouldn't let me open one. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that for you. So that was my first no was, was, can you open a bank account? Actually, it wasn't a no. It was a, it was a not now. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, then when we got the bank account open with, with the bank, um, who, uh, you know, coots in, in the UK who I love and who are amazing in every way, um, when we got it open, I remember saying, okay, so I need, now I need an acquiring account into which to receive money. Oh, yeah, we can't do that. It doesn't work. I was like, no, no, I need to open an account so we can make, take money in. No, yeah, we can't do that. Okay. 
And there was no real precedence for crowdfunding at the time, and there was no real precedence for reference transactions other than hotels and um, uh, and holidays type thing. It just it just wasn't there. Kickstarter had launched in the UK about you know uh, maybe a couple of weeks in, so we knew it was possible, and I'd seen companies doing what we did in other verticals, but. This idea that you could capture a card and charge it later did not exist in 99% of banks' universes. So for three months as we were coding the site, we didn't have a way to do these transactions. And every single credit card company, bank processor, payment processor I called up, everyone daily said no. Then it became, we're, we're going to launch in a month and we don't have a payment product. Like it won't work. And endlessly, I was told no. I was told no in different languages, in different ways to go. And there was a point at which we actually were like, look, you know, we may not be able to do this in this way. Um, and so if we can't do that, you know, do we just call it quits now and send money back to the investor? Like, I mean, how do we proceed? And it was right at the end of no, where I remember having a conversation with, with our accountant. And I was like, Mike, and I said, Mike, you know, I don't know if we're going to do this. And he's like, you know, I got a mate who runs a processing credit card processing company and called him up. And sure enough, uh, two days later, and I've got it framed on my wall, the emails of the first reference transactions going through um, the subject of the email just said, this is what success looks like. And then there was that. And then I would say on a daily basis, I've been told, no, that's not how this works. No, there isn't enough time. No, there isn't enough money. Uh, no, Benj, you don't understand. This is how it works in the big world or whatever it is. Daily, I hear it. I hear uh, startups saying, tell me what their problems are. Like, uh, if only I could do this. And um, the no's, you listen to them. They're, they're, they're not illogical. It's not, um, they're not saying no, you know, just arbitrarily quite often. But you want to take that as there's a no that says I should listen to that because it's really solid or a no that says that's because you don't understand it and then you find your path and look it's a battle i mean you know the the music business in particular has, has been a battle and it's a series of no's if you want to start a new streaming service get ready the no's will come so thick and fast you won't know what's going on right um and we were told no by every major record label every major management company most of the artists we were told no by uh and now we work with them all so it's quite often a question of just hanging in there and resilience um, because no is a great thing to hear at times because it will either make you move on or it'll um, stiffen your resolve. Okay. So you've, um, you, you've been at this business for almost six years now. Yeah. And along the way, you've also started to take on the role as an advisor for a number of other startups and so how, how did that come about and and sort of what type of companies are you working with these days? Sure. Um, uh, so uh, it, it started to happen a couple of years ago. Um, basically, once we got to about three years, four years in, um, it was sort of I remember my, my friend uh, Glenn from Billboard saying to me, you've made it to five years. That's like 50 years in music tech startup world. <laughs> um, and I would I would come across people who would ask me for just advice and, um, you know, it'd be like, you know, I'm launching this product. What do you think? Um, and I would, you know, give them just kind of off the cuff answers as I would see it. And that 
it seemed to be more helpful than it wasn't. Um, I think a lot of times it's moral support. Um, there's a, a lady that I'm, I'm um, advising right now. She's got a startup in the travel space, a very, you know, a great idea, very difficult space to get into. And, um, uh, she, you know, at the moments where she's like, you know, I, I got to know from this VC, I got to know from this accelerator, I got you know, I keep, you know, part of it is, is do you want to talk about the number of no's I got? Do you want to hear about the number of people that, that said no to the Beatles? Or no to Ed Sheeran or no to, you know, like all these, you know, you know, people did not sign Adele. People did not sign the Rolling Stones, you know, et cetera. So there's a thought, you know, the world is littered with those. But um, really what it was, was there were certain amounts of um, I've done it. So when someone says that seems really hard or difficult, I'm like, no, it's not. Or yes, it is really hard, but it's worth doing because. And, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, one of the companies I advise is called Dubset. They're going into an amazing space right now. And they've built, you know, to me, the underlying architecture for uh, the most advanced music clearing system out there um, for the dance music space, which is an incredible, a, whiskey, a risky, strange field. But they built it. And so part of my advice to them is, yes, I think this is a good idea or you should meet people. A lot of times the advising is for, you know, contacts. And, um, you know, I'm asked to advise more companies than I'm able to because I, I can't devote time. But um, it, it also teaches me um, a huge amount. Uh, the questions that are being asked um, remaining, you know, uh, on top of technology as it's coming out, um, whether it's, you know, and in particular, my expertise is, is now in the music space. Um, you know, it keeps me uh, on top of my game as well, but also it's a way of giving back because so many people helped me along on this path. And, uh, I really do view as, as, you know, the, the one entrepreneur in particular, a chap named Andrew Bentley, he just gave of his time so willingly and, you know, there would not be a pledge of music without him. Um, and he, when, when things got rough, I would call him up and he would just say, nope, yep, this is what it looks like. This is, this is just hard. It just sucks. Get through it, you know? Um, and knowing when to kind of abandon certain things that you love dearly because they're just not going to work. And quite often it takes a, an advisor or a, a mentor to say to you, okay, enough now, cut it. It's done. What are some of the common mistakes that you see? Um, entrepreneurs or founders making as you've kind of gone and advised these different companies? What are some of the common themes that you see? Sure. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the common, the common th um, thing I've seen is, is um, uh, I've got this great idea, but I don't have any money to build it. And my answer to that is normally build it, find a way. Um, if you can't find someone, a, a developer, you know, or, or like, I don't know a good developer who will do X, Y, and Z, um, unless I pay them. Okay. Well, you know, if you've built the next great thing and you think it is truly, if, or if you've got in your head, the next, you know, best thing, then why don't you try working with a developer for equity rather than, rather than cash, you know, like, are they motivated by that? If they're not, then they might be super interested, but you know, then it, it may not happen. So, um, it, what I found is, is that there's this kind of get to MVP if you can, um, and, uh, if you can't get there, I'm very suspicious of a lot of that, particularly in, in these days with, with, you know, the types of, um, uh, apps that are being built and shown to me. Um, you know, there's a guy I met at a, at a conference and he said to me, I've got this great idea. I said, great. I'd love to see it. And two weeks later, he sent me a fully functioning app with, you know, an amazing presentation. 
And I was like, wow, that's possible. Whereas someone else has said to me, I've had this great idea. And a year later, they'll be like, yeah, I was still having trouble getting, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to get an MVP off the ground. And I'm like, why, you know, ask yourself why that's happening. So I think that there's this, I need money in order to happens, or it's, um, uh, um, or, or it becomes like, like I've built the MVP. It's not going. So we need, we need to just pump more money in it to turn the gas on. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you also got like co-founders who quit. How do you handle that moving forward? A lot of that happens. Um, one startup I'm working with have got this phenomenal idea and I wanted to show it to some people to potentially fund it, but it was so good. I wanted them to get a patent on it, you know, or at least a provisional patent on it. Cause I was like, I don't want to show this to anyone. It's too amazing. Like it has to have protection in there. Um, and then quite often it's just it's just those sort of like what would you do in this scenario type thing. But you know, to get to an MVP right now is very is much easier than it ever was. And show the world what you've got, and don't be afraid of it being out there. I, you know, I'm I'm learning this firsthand with something that I developed, and you know, like it's an experiment. I don't know if it will work, but at the same time, it's not done because it's out in the world. Doesn't mean it's finished today you know i mean we, we release albums uh or you know projects on pledge that have not been recorded yet so you watch that as it ha as it happens and i think that there's a real excitement to that um being being a part of the first mvp is exciting saying i was there back then so it doesn't need to be finished as what i said a lot of the uh, entrepreneurs of the world it just needs to be great and people will come along and get on board with something that is truly great if they're not if they'll only do it for $200,000 a year, well, do they think it's great or do they think that it's got a shot? Like, so, and, um, and your side projects and your fun stuff that you do can often turn into something. So never, never let those go away. I've learned more from the side things I do and brought, it brings and informs more to me and, and my main business um, from knowing what's out there. You know, it's a huge, it's a huge way to go. So it sounds like it's been an amazing journey over the last six years from that night lying on that air mattress to where you are today. Um, I, I know that you have hired a CEO now and, and sort of stepped back from, from that role. And, and I, I, I bet when you started on this journey, you, you probably didn't see yourself as being an advisor for a you know, number of, of startups. But when you look back, over those last uh, six years, what was what was one of the hardest things about building this business that you wish you had known when you started out? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, um, I didn't think it would take this long, and I underestimated how resistant to change the incumbent industry was. Um, you're still seeing it today. You know, six six years ago, we approached our first bands and managers and labels, and we said to them, your current business model is not going to be effective in the future. Like, so we've got a system that will make you, instead of $9.99 per transaction, $55. So which is better? And the industry basically said, well, the way that we do things is for a reason and, you know, on and on. This, and this is what, while, you know, Meanwhile, piracy was at 70% and there was craziness. And you would, you would sit in the room with really smart people and say to them, this is a new thing that you could do. And they look at you like you're from another planet. Um, 
So I didn't think it would be that hard to convince people and to convince them that change was not terrifying and wasn't going to ruin their business or, you know, destroy anything. But they were really resistant to it. And, you know, blockchain uh, is experiencing the same thing right now, like the incumbents are the banks and they're going to be disrupted or Uber is doing the same thing with taxis, you know, um, and the music space you know, halved in size in the last 15 years in terms of its, you know, financial uh, um, uh, input. And that's, meanwhile, consumption has, you know, quintupled or, you know, whatever it is. And so when back then, six years ago, I was like, right, well, I've solved it. Let's just get this out there and problem, you know, game over. <laughs> and then five years in, you're like, okay, I'm still explaining to you how this works. Like, that's phenomenal. But it's because it was it was radical at the time. Um, it was a radical thing to do, and it still is quite radical. You know, um, uh, you know, we'll have conversations like, you know, yes, I like this idea, but I want to live on my website. But if it, lives, it lives on your website. It's not in the in the community, so fewer people will see it. You'll make less money. Yeah, but I really want it to live on my website. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> you know, if that's what you want. Um, so. You know, uh, there are some radical forces at work in the music space in particular right now, which are going to alter the economics considerably, um, definitely in favor of what Pledge does and, and what we built. But that's the thing I would say is if I'd say to myself six years ago, don't assume that it's going to be as quick as you think, because it's a battle when you've got people fighting for something that they just know, not that they know that it's better. They just know it. It's like. I release records in this way. We put music out in this way. And then streaming comes along and knocks it sideways or, you know, direct to fan comes along and knocks it sideways. Um, and you got to really remain resilient to that because you will be told no a thousand times. So, yeah, if I say, I'd say to myself six years ago, it will take six years. I don't know if I would have done it. <laughs> it's the other thing. Um, another idea that I'm working on and hatching in my brain, I'm like, I'm going to have to go through this again in a certain way. But um you got to do it because it's the right of a lifetime. It's the right of a lifetime to build something. And, you know, as I said before, if it all ended tomorrow, what a ride, you know, what a ride it's been. Yeah. And I think that that also underscores the the point of really getting into something that you're passionate about because you may be well, well working on this thing for the next five or 10 years. And if it's something that you're just pursuing to make money, but you're not really passionate about it, then I think it's going to be really hard to keep going yeah. for that long. Well, it's because if your motivation isn't 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 for beyond just the money. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with making money, and, and you know, but but ideally, excellence and what drives you should should become you know, its its end result should be money. Um, you know, unless you're doing a financial service, obviously. But like, you know, the people that were developing the blockchain and and the Bitcoin protocol, you know, um, uh. You know, there was potentially lots of money in the end, but right now you're you're in the we're doing it for love, and there's huge amounts of money invested in in it and the space, but it's going to have to break the back of a massive incumbent you know service, and I think it will do it. But again, you know, five what was it you know six maybe seven years ago this was put into put into place, and it's now taking this amount of time. So humans are very resistant to change. It's very not in most people's DNA to go. Ah, you know what, today I'm going to convert all my money into Bitcoins. But guess what? You know, and there's, there's risk to it as well. But I think that, um, you know, when you're starting something up, if you can see it clearly in your head and if it just scratches that itch, if it's just, 
you know, you've got to do it. You have to go do it. Um, one of our team, um, you know, she wants to go to a startup and I'm like, you've got to do it. You have to go build your dream. You got to do it. You know, if it falls apart, that doesn't matter. Go do what you do. Otherwise it will obsess you and haunt you because the best ideas do. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I gave up my, um, you know, corporate job to, to pursue and do my own thing. And, and a lot of it was driven by, um, something I heard from Jeff Bezos um, talking about what he called a regret minimization framework, which is kind of a really geeky way, but it's just a simple way of saying, you know, when you're 80 years old, you don't want to look back and have regrets. Yep. So, so it's better to, to pursue those dreams and even fail, but at least yep. to have known that, that you, know, you didn't exactly, you don't have that, that lingering feeling all your life in terms of, oh my God, I didn't even try to do that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I have a three and a half year old daughter and she's, you know, kind of uh, and that's recontextualized a lot for me. And for a lot of people listening may not have kids or maybe thinking about it. But like you, you become instantly aware that this world's going to spin around only X number of times with you on it. Right. And, um, uh, you know, do you want to wake up every morning going at something that is difficult yet? ultimately pleasurable when it happens or do you want to just kind of carry on and say well you know i i, I worked a lot in that life you know <laughs> in this life i did a lot of work is not really what you'd be thinking of and so what's funny is i often put myself in the shoes of you know um what i built here at pledge or the albums i made before none of those you know those albums did not sell millions and millions of um of copies and i didn't you know uh, I wasn't made famous by them, but I love them. I love what I created. I love Pledge. I love Radiary, the app I've built. I love, you know, um, you know, the companies I'm advising because I'm a part in some tiny way of that journey. And if I, if my life were to end tomorrow, I would be a satisfied person for all the successes and the failures, because um, it really is building something unique or being a part of that, you know, because there are vital pieces to this. Zach, who coded the first you know, iteration of the site, Rob, who works on it, you know, Jace, my co-founder, Rupert, my co-founder, you know, Malcolm, it's, it's a journey unlike any other. And there are heartbreaking moments, but there are also moments where you are crying with laughter at how fun and absurd the whole thing is as well. And so, you know, I could die happy knowing that like, you know, that was there. Um, but it's, uh, so if, if it burns in you, you got to go do it. You just have to go do it. There's not, there's not enough time to not do that, you know, I think in life. And I found that, that you know, um, when I've needed people or resource or whatever it is, they tend to show up in amazing ways. Um, and, uh, and you have to trust that and stay lucky and focused and, and um, do it for love because it's, it's a great, great journey. That is great advice. Okay, it's time for our lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions, and I'd like you just to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Yep, ready. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Don't quit. <laughs> <laughs> what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, the latest version, um, the, the last translation that was done, um, because uh, he has a fantastic way of contextualizing the span of time involved and your place in it. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Restlessness. 
um, there, this, this never ending quest to find the better tool, the better way, the better path, um, always never being satisfied with uh, what is restlessness. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, it's going to be, um, I've, I've gone through all of them. Wonder list as my to-do list is my one and checking it off and getting it done every day. What's uh, a new business idea that one of those crazy ideas that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Uh, it's, um, it's in the music streaming space and I can't say more, but, uh, because you're probably doing something with it, but it's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say the meditation part. Um, fun fact. Um, uh, I used to be really into Middle East politics. I went to the Middle East for a month, wrote some blogs about it, and now I don't <laughs> get into politics ever again. <laughs> that, was en- was that. that was enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Um, my daughter. My, my, my daughter and my family have, um, have um, provided more love and support, you know, even though she's three and she's you know, obsessed with dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's really what, 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 what ticks every box right now. And the work I do is for them. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my, uh, just to give you some context on it, my daughter said to me yesterday, when I'm older, I want to be able to spend more time with you at the office. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Great. Benji, it's been a pleasure. Um, I, I kind of feel like we could just go on talking for hours here um, quite happily. Um, but unfortunately, we've got to wrap up. Now, if um, folks want to find out more about Pledge Music, they can go to pledgemusic.com. That's and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? It's Twitter, actually, uh, at Benji K. Rogers, B-E-N-J-I-K-R-O-G-E-R-S. And be prepared. You will see tweets about vinyl, ice hockey, my daughter, uh, space exploration, and Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Benji, thanks again, and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Benji Rogers of Pledge Music. Benji really has an awesome story. And we talked at at some length after we'd finished recording about life and uh, a bunch of other things. Um, He's a really fascinating guy and uh, a really nice person as well. So uh, I'm sure that it came across from uh, this interview. And uh, I I hope that you got some useful insights that you can take away as well. If you want to know about my key takeaways and insights from this episode, uh, just go to conversionaid.com slash nine zero. And about halfway down the page, you will see a link to download the free PDF summary that I put together. Uh, If you're a ConversionAid VIP member, uh, don't worry about that. You will get that email to you directly anyway, so you don't need to do anything. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to ConversionAid, the podcast that shows you how to take your business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.